We uh, pray in the litany uh, for this city in which we dwell and for all the faithful in it. And it's wonderful, while, uh, while in a sense our city is, is kind of um, uh, crippled to a certain extent by anxiety right now, um, we have gathered here to, uh, to celebrate and to, to almost to dance. We dance at the joy of the resurrection. We dance at the joy of a baptism in the middle of adversity. Um, I have seen folks all around town who have been quite literally crippled with fear, but yet we who have been crippled with fear now dance in this place. And we see, we even see an infant dance, sort of, out of fear of Father Nicholas. <laughs> And I, I had a little thing in the homily here about Mother's Day, too, just to back you up, just in case. Just in case you, you forgot again. But uh, <laughs> it, it only appeared that he forgot. In the Gospel today, the Lord Jesus enters Jerusalem in the midst of a feast. But not everyone is enjoying this feast. Many are not invited to the feast. They are not on the uh, preferred guest list. They sit around the fringes of the city. They are alienated. And as it is in many of our towns, many of these down-and-outers find some place to gather around the town. They find some place to gather because they have a hope that some small provision of benefit might come to them in that place. A handout of some sort might come to them, so they gather there in that place. They may wait for a handout of food or drink, or perhaps they wait there just for the extension of some human kindness. Sometimes they even come to the door of a church and wait there for the extension of a human kindness. But today, the infirm multitude in Jerusalem has a more celestial expectation, not just a terrestrial expectation, but a celestial expectation. They don't just wait around the pool there for a handful of pocket change. They are there in that place to meet an angel. They are expecting to meet an angel in that place. So who are we here today to meet in this place? Who have we come here to meet? The poor in Jerusalem are waiting by that pool called the Sheep Gate to meet an angel in the water there. They are expecting to meet someone in the place where they have come. Are we expecting to meet someone in this place where we have come? Now, whichever one of them gets into the water after the angel arrives, that one will be healed of whatever ails him. So, it might reinforce the notion that it's important to be there at the start of the service, because the angel might get there before you get there. So you want to be there at the beginning of the service and for the whole service, one might say, just in case the angel happens to get into the water, you want to be there when that happens. 
In the Gospel, in many ways, we have a very heartbreaking picture. We see the very poorest of the poor with their poverty made deeper by their handicaps. They are not just what some of us call dual diagnosis. They are multiple diagnosis. They've got lots of problems. Their handicaps are spiritual, physical, mental, economic, all those things, multiply handicapped. And each of them is straining forward to be healed. Each one of them, and this is what makes the picture even sadder. It's as if it's some lottery with one winner. The first one to get in the water is the winner. And the rest of them are left in their misery. How is it that we have fallen so low to be waiting here by the water? Perhaps we might look at it, we who aren't handicapped, or at least don't see our handicaps, because they're hidden somewhere beneath our, our, our nifty ties and our perfectly done hair and so forth. Perhaps we might say that these folks are there because of the consequences of their sin or some default of character. That's why they're there. That's why they have to be there waiting for this angel to come there. Perhaps that might be so. Perhaps it might be. But our Lord in the scriptures has encouraged us not to look for the causes of misfortune so that we might judge them, so that we might diagnose them and condemn them. He has encouraged us not to do that. He even said that the man born blind, who everybody else was saying, well, is it his mom and dad who sinned and that's why he's blind, or, is, or did he sin himself? He even said that that wasn't the case. He said that because of this, this was an opportunity for the glory of God. His blindness was for the glory of God. Dare we to see that handicaps, that misfortunes, that fires even, can be for the glory of God, for the revelation of the glory of God. Didn't this stupid fire that I've been breathing for five days now, sucking up and running around to shelters in, didn't this fire provide an opportunity for a great, great celebration here this morning. The glory of God can be revealed because of it. And so, if we are looking for the healing of our sin, of our infirmity, it is better that we extend grace to those who are waiting there by the pool, to those who are there at the labor line, to those who are there by the freeway on-ramp with a little cardboard sign that's pleading to you. So we ought to be gentle to those waiting by the pool. For they are us and we are them in many ways. And as I have been visiting in, in the shelters around our town, I've seen that all of a sudden, a lot of folks that may drive up in a Cadillac are homeless all of a sudden. In a blink, in a blink, we are us and they are them. But we've come to a place where you can be healed. We're here in the church, 
And you know something here in this place? It's not a lottery. It's not a contest to see who gets into the water first. Everyone who comes here can be healed. The waters are troubled here, but everyone who's in the waters can be healed. A certain man at Bethesda had been held hostage to his infirmity for 38 years. For 38 years, he had been lying in his bed sores. And if any of you have ever seen bed sores, it ain't a pretty sight. He had been lying in his bed sores for 13,870 days. I calculated it. 38 years. He cannot move to a comfortable spot, yet alone can he move for his cure. He knows no one who will come to his aid. He has no attendant. He has no special nurse. He has no visiting nurse. He has no concierge doctor to come take care of him. He has no insurance probably either. He's lying there. For him, his palate is his tomb. There must be many days where he lies there and he wonders why he's taken a breath. And many of us in, in infirmities lie there and wonder why we're taking a breath. One of the verses at Vespers last night said, He was like unto a dead man unburied. He knows no hope, yet he who is the hope has come for him. He has no hope, but hope is coming. He has no hope for someone to carry him, but he who is the hope is coming to him. And as the Lamb of God comes through the sheep gate, the light of his shadow falls on the infirm man. The man does not know who Jesus is, and he's, he, he's not like uh, righteous Simeon, who was waiting for the Lord and had prepared himself for the Lord. This man doesn't know who this guy is who's coming up to him. Even as the Lord stands before him and asks him if he wants to be made well, the poor man doesn't even know what to ask for. He's been so long in his infirmity that he doesn't even know really what to ask for when, when he's asked. He only knows the, the bonds of his infirmity he has, been, he has become, as we say, institutionalized in his infirmity. It keeps him from reaching out for the cure, but the cure reaches out for him. And the cure here in this place is reaching out for each of you, for each of, each of you and for me as I stand here, for us who stand at the altar. The cure reaches for us not just for those who, whose infirmities are on the outside, who come in through our door. The cure reaches for us who are vested beautifully with, with crosses and everything else. The cure reaches for us. The cure reaches for you. And then the Lord commands him to do what 38 years of paralysis have told his body that he can't do, have programmed him that he can't do it. I can't do it. There's no way I could do it. My body tells me I can't, but the Lord tells him to do. The Lord says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Lift up what has afflicted you. 
don't be bummed by what afflicts you. Lift it up. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Don't lament your bed. Lift it up. No longer be bound by it. Lift it up, and then you will be healed. Don't complain about it. No complaints. Lift it up. And at the word of the Messiah, strength begins to fire in his muscles, muscles that have not flexed for the better part of a lifetime. What is happening is the word of the Creator himself. At the word of the Creator, sinew and joints begin to function in an awesome and fearful synergy, in a, in a great and holy dance, that upright dance that you were made to do. You were made to dance, just like that baby coming out of the water, not to cry, <laughs> but to dance, to dance with joy. It's always so, it's quite remarkable. Every once in a while, some baby will come out of the water with a smile <laughs> on his face. There was a baby here one time that got baptized and reached up and touched Father Richard on the cheek and smiled. And I went, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> reached up and touched him on the cheek. At the word of the Creator, that happens. The paralytic got up and walked. And w can you imagine that first step for that person? Can you, can you imagine... 38 years in your bed, and all of a sudden, you take a step. Can you imagine what that step looked like? Can you imagine how that step felt? What, what a, you've seen the first step of a, of a toddler, of a baby. You know, it's that, it's that you know, kind of hesitant, but then all of a sudden, the kid goes, whoa, I'm liking this. And, and it's a dance. It is a dance. It's, it's a down payment on uh, uh, field goals yet to be kicked, on uh, mountains yet to be climbed, um, on, on all those kinds of things, on first dances. It's a, what a wonder. It is the wonder of a life lived in the power of the resurrection. That first step is life lived in the power of the resurrection. That first kick out of the water is life lived in the power of the resurrection. If ever there was a time for dancing, it's this season that we're in right now. Yet as great as the wonder of it is, not everybody rejoices. The self-righteous miss the dance, and they only see that the Sabbath law has been broken. There's a caution for us in that. Not just to judge the Pharisees, but there's a caution for us. We must never attempt to bind the Lord to operate only within the boundaries of our religious prescriptions, life-giving though they may be. Life-giving though they may be. He does not sail, save and heal us for the multitude of our piety, but for the multitude of his grace. We ought to rejoice in the, the work of the Lord in our lives and not judge how somebody else is doing it. He gives grace so must we. Freely extend grace to those by the pool waiting for the troubling of the water. Freely give grace to the infirm on the fringes of our community. If we're to build a temple, which we pray to do, where he will come and meet us, 
we must build that temple to be a place of healing for those who have nowhere else to go in the world, for those who have nowhere else to meet, not just an angel, but the Lord himself. If we have been healed of infirmity and sin, and we know that we have been, let us go and tell everyone that Jesus is in a place where they can all come and that there there are waters wherein you may be healed to the glory of God. Christ is risen.